0: All right. Are we going to have to do some jumping jacks? Are you all asleep now? That's pretty soothing. Uh, If you all need help taking a nap later, I'll send you that video. But um, I want us to remember as we enter into today just how good God is. You know, there are lots of things happening in the world around us that makes it feel at times that God's not that good, doesn't it? Um, We often blame God for all the bad things and forget all the good things that he does. Um, But God is so good and there are painful things happening all around the world for us. One of the things that we're going to do over these next few weeks is we're going to talk through uh, a passage of Micah. It's his most famous verse. It's, it's a very well-known verse of the Old Testament. It's something that kind of takes us back to what is really most important about our faith. And and that in a time of, of a pandemic, and a time, I, I forgot to take my mask off whenever we're I was doing the announcements because I'm, I'm now so used to wearing one, which I'm not excited about that. But I'm so used to wearing one, I forgot I even had it on. And um, we've, we've got trauma that's happening all around our country. We've got trauma happening in lives in our uh, church. Uh, there are just some hard things. People are, are worried about their jobs, their income. Um, those who have been okay up to this point are wondering what's going to happen over the next year and, and how much longer is this going to go? Are we talking about weeks, months, another year? What are we what are we looking at? And in those moments in life you you'll have them, right? We're all having this moment together. But you have these moments regularly in your life where you just begin to question is life good? Is life bad? Is this ever going to get better? Uh, you know, how do I get through what I'm going through right now? And one of the the ways that we're trying to do that is is to reaffirm and remember uh exactly why do we have faith? What what does it really look like to have faith, walk in, in faith, to to love Jesus and to actually believe that Jesus um, is here with us and, and is concerned about what's going on within our lives I, you know you know jesus is concerned with every breath that's coming in and out of your body right now <laughs> he's concerned with every thought that's going through your mind he's concerned with your heart beating and rhythm and he has a desire and a hope and he has plans for you and so as we kind of think through these times and we feel like eh, we kind of feel sidelined we, we're kind of sidelined in the lives that we want to live that we normally live we we expect to live we're we don't want to be sidelined anymore. But in the midst of that, there is great beauty in the way that God speaks to us. And in those kind of in-between moments of life where you're really not sure where you are, you're really not sure where you're going, you're just kind of here, you're kind of surviving, what do we do in these in-between moments of life? God has a lot to say to us. And and, and often it's just a reminder of him telling us, I am here, I am with you, I am working, and I have a plan through this. So the last few weeks we've been talking about uh, Jesus is essential. And I was actually going to kind of roll this into that series. And I thought, no, th- we need to pull this out and we need to do this separately uh, because this is so so significant and so important to the overall understanding of faith and Christianity today that uh, we just need to do something separate. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks, and I'll be honest, I don't know how long it's going to go. I don't know, I, My sermon today, I'm not going to get through it. I'm going to tell you right now. I could get through it, but... I didn't bring lunch or dinner for you, so it, we we may have to split uh, early from what I have planned to, to tell you. And um, but one of the things I just wanted to share, I thought was interesting, and, and many of you know, especially if you're a, a movie buff or a Marvel fan, that Chadwick Boseman passed away uh, this past week. He played Black Panther. He played um, he played um, 42. Um, Jackie Robinson. Thank you. Um, he, play, he played a number of great movies, and what none of us knew was that he's been battling colon cancer for the last four years, uh, and then uh, no one even knew how bad a shape he was until he died. But I, I just wanted to read something to you, because I thought it was important um, in the sense of uh, here's, here's a man that, um, whether you, you know him or not, is a believer. He is a, a proclaimed believer in Christ. Um, grew up in the church, grew up singing in the choir, grew up in a youth group. Uh, he was a self-proclaimed believer in Christ. Even said that before he got the role um, in Black Panther, he prayed about it. <laughs> he prayed about getting this role, and um, so he was a man of faith. But he, a friend of his that that many of you know from from his own movies, Josh Gad, posted his last text he had gotten from Chadwick Boseman, and I saw this and it just touched me because uh, it, it it speaks to some of the things we've been talking about over these last few. Weeks And that is just that Jesus is essential. Not only is Jesus essential, but Jesus, God shows himself to us on, in so many ways, whether it's in a pandemic or not, whether we're in church or not. Just by going out and seeing what God has done in the world around us, we can see him. Let me read this. This is, this is his last um, text to, to Josh Gad that he shared on Twitter yesterday, and it's called Catch the Rain. That's what Chadwick um, titled it. He says, if you are in Los Angeles, you woke up this morning to the rare and peaceful sound of a steady precipitation. If you're like me, maybe you looked at the week's forecast and found that it's supposed to rain for three straight days, not without breaks of sunlight and reprieves of most gloom. But, yeah, it's going to be coming down like cats and dogs. Great. We're stuck inside these quarantines because of the COVID, and now we can't even get no sun in Cali. Come on now. But now that the rain has stopped and today's storm has cleared, I urge you to go outside and take a deep breath. Notice how fresh the air is right now. After our skies have had a three-week break from the usual relentless barrage of fumes from bumper-to-bumper L.A. commuters, and now today's rain has given the city of angels a long overdue and much-needed shower. Inhale and exhale this moment. And thank God for the unique beauties and wonders of this day. We should take advantage of every moment we can to enjoy the simplicity of God's creation, whether it be clear skies and sun or clouded over with gloom. And hey, if the air is this clear right now and it does rain tomorrow, I might even put jars and bins out and catch the rain. Throw that in the water filter and I have a water more alkaline than any bottled brand out there. That's just maybe an interesting thing for him to say, but to say in the midst of dying of cancer, to say go catch the rain, <laughs> enjoy the simple beauties of what God has created around us. You know, in these in these times when we struggle and we're not sure what our jobs are going to do and we're not sure what our relationships are like and people that we, we have loved and we have cared for, all of a sudden it seems like we're kind of at odds because social media and Zoom and all that does not fix the lack of face-to-faceness that we need with our friends and our loved ones. Uh, There's a time for us just to stop and remember God is good. God is doing good things. To walk out, even for us, to see the sun shining right now and just to enjoy how clear it is, how beautiful it is that God is still at work. So I want to talk to you a little bit about Micah. And and the reason I want to do this is because Micah and and Micah 6.8, which is where we're going to be for for a while, and you think, how can we be in one verse for a while? Just hang with me. You'll find out. But Micah 6.8, It's written by a prophet in the Old Testament who lived in a very tumultuous time. And he was living in a time when people were struggling to kind of figure out, what does God want from me? What does God want for me? What am I supposed to do as a a follower of God? I mean, they weren't followers of Jesus at the time because Jesus um, had not been born yet. Uh, Jesus was, as we know through the New Testament, Jesus was already here. He was already uh, around, and God, in fact, when he created, he created and spoke, and Jesus is the, the one in which that went and created. So it's not that Jesus wasn't in existence, the Trinity was in existence, but he hadn't been born of Mary, and so we hadn't begun the series of events that would lead us to be what we call a as Christ followers. And this time, they're still in the sacrificial system. They're in a time when if you sin, there has to be atonement for your sin, and that sin is a death, and usually that is an animal, and uh, there's a whole system that you would follow. But this is also just a very difficult time for the nation of Israel because their wisest king is gone. King Solomon is gone. Now, if you're not a a history buff of the Old Testament, which is really fascinating uh, to get in and really understand what happened all throughout the Old Testament, but if you're not a history buff, uh, the nation of Israel um, really uh, almost comes to a civil war. And instead what they do is they actually split if you'll remember, there are 12 tribes that make up Israel. And of those 12 tribes, 10 of them form what would become the northern kingdom, which would be called Israel. And two of them, Judah and Benjamin, would become the southern kingdom, which would be called Judah. And the reason this happened because there was great disagreement about who should be king after King Solomon died. I am so glad we don't have this political unrest in our day today. No division between us no disagreement about how a nation should go no saying well you should go over there and just do your thing and let us go do our thing I'm glad that doesn't happen anymore aren't you and so what they decided to do is they would have different kings and what Israel does this this nation of the ten tribes what they end up doing is they they end up having a king a series of kings actually that were just pure evil they didn't care about anybody they cared only about themselves only about their own power only about their own wealth and they not only abandoned the people, they abandoned God, and they began to take in all the pagan gods around them. They were just a string of terrible kings. Now, Judah did a lot better. Judah had kind of a, an up-and-down history because in this time in Micah's life, Micah is here from the time that King Solomon dies until the time, which is 25 years later, when Israel, the northern kingdom, is eventually overrun and destroyed by Assyria, leaving only Judah. Mike is here for this whole time. Great unrest. There are good kings and bad kings in the southern kingdom, but they're all bad kings in the northern kingdom. And people have begun to believe that what God wants for them is they want, God wants them to make a, a concerted effort to do things for God. And that thing that he wanted them to do was he wanted them to do sacrifices. And we pick that up when we read the Old Testament, whenever Noah steps off of the ark and he builds an altar and he burns a sacrifice, and, and, and the scriptures say it was a pleasing aroma to God, the sacrifice, this sacrifice of atonement. We would read later in the New Testament that when Jesus died, he was a sacrifice that was always also said to be a pleasing aroma. To God. And this idea that sacrifice made God happy, it, it began to build into this nation this idea that if I do enough stuff for God, then I will make him happy, and hopefully, if I make him happy, he will make me happy. And he'll take care of me and do things for me and, and make sure that I'm taken care of. And and I, I just gotta make sure I do the right things. And so when we enter into what Micah is saying here, what we find is that he is prophesying about some incredible things and, and saying some just incredible things to the people about what God is about to do for them. And in Micah chapter 5, he even prophesies that Jesus is going to be born, and it says in Micah 5 two, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. He's talking about Jesus here. Micah is prophesying about Jesus 700 years before Jesus would be born in this same town, Bethlehem. He called it. 25 years after the kingdom splits, Israel is overtaken by the Assyrians. Micah called it before it happened. We read about that in Micah 1.6 when he says, your foundations will be destroyed. He called it. Now, one of the tests of prophets in the Old Testament was uh, if you say something's going to happen, it needs to happen. <laughs> if you say something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, the punishment for that is death. So as Micah's prophesying, he begins to pull people together and he says, you know what? What does God want for you and from you? What does God want for you and from you If you go through the book of Micah, you're going to find that there are three primary areas in which Micah speaks. One is he's going to speak for the first three chapters um, for about the judgment of leaders in both kingdoms, especially those who are not leading people towards God. The second thing he's going to talk about is he's going to be working to restore them to his kingdom. He's going to be really encouraging them, get with the program, remember what this is about, don't 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 abandon God, and don't assume he wants something from you that he doesn't, or wants something for you that he doesn't. And the third thing that he's going to see in the last two uh, verses, or last two chapters, he's going to be basically going through this courtroom scene where he indicts the nation of Israel for abandoning him. And then there's going to be a call back to say, just come back. God is faithful. He's not going to utterly destroy you. He is going to redeem you, but come back back. The idea in their minds that God just wanted sacrifice, for us, we don't assume that, do we? But what are the things that we assume that God wants from us? Think about it. What do we assume that God wants us to do? Share about his goodness, Yeah. Within each of us, we have to come to this place where we think about what is it that God wants? What is it we think we're supposed to do? What exactly am I How am I supposed to live? We talked for the last few weeks about living the way. And, and so we've kind of gone over the way. And Scott did a good job talking about the risk that's associated with following the way. And one of the things that I struggle with within our current cultural context is a lot of people, are try, they try their best to live their life without risk. They try so hard to live a safe life that nothing bad can happen. But you can't live life that way. And if you live your life in a way that you try to insulate yourself from bad things, you can pretty much expect you're going to have a pretty boring life. And you're going to miss out on a lot of great things. And this is not what God called us to. God called his followers to great abandon for what God wants to do in the world. Imagine the men that walked with him, his disciples, those 12 disciples, when he sent them out, he knew he was sending them out to the end of their lives. And yet he still sent them. And as he sent them out for the end of their lives, he knew that risk was a part of life. Following the way was not going to be safe. It was not going to be comfortable. So as we come to Micah chapter 6, this is a portion where where, where Micah is beginning to stop and say, listen, You have missed the point. For some of us, we may, instead of saying God wants sacrifices, we may say God wants us to come to church. Give so much of our money. Or put a sticker on the back of our car. Or wear a t-shirt. God wants us to, you know, read the Bible so many days and make sure we don't sin. There's any number of things we can come up with what we're supposed to be. But what the world tells a Christian what you're supposed to be is ultimately tolerable or tolerant for every single thing in the world. Like every sin there is in the world, you should be tolerant of it. And yet, he says, take a risk, follow me. There is a way, there is a gate that is wide that leads to destruction. There's a gate that is narrow that leads to life. The reason I want to look at Micah 6.8 is because Micah 6.8 puts down into a very compact, chewable place where we can understand what is all of this pushing for. What are all the teachings of Scripture pushing for? What is the law pushing for? What is is God trying to get us to do or to say? Micah 6.8 in the New Living Translation reads like this. O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what He requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Hmm. It's not the sacrifices. It's not the walking into the temple. The Lord has told you what is good. And this is what He requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly Now, to do what is right, in many of your versions, is going to say to do justice. Now, here's what we're going to do. We are going to go out of order, and we're going to talk about loving mercy before we get to doing justice. Now, there's lots about justice that we can talk about, but we can't fully be concerned about justice until we've understood the first two, which is loving mercy and walking humbly with God. So we're going to start with mercy. We're going to go to walking humbly with God, and we're going to end up with doing justice. And what does that look like in the context of the other two? And as we read this, I want you to recognize that Jesus would validate what Micah is saying. And, and, and Matthew 9, 9 through 13, this is, what is, this is how that uh, section goes. It says, Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined, At table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, uh, this is not what God wants. (laughs) Don't hang out with those people. Those are bad people. God wants us to be good people. He shouldn't be with bad people. But when he heard it, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I, I love this. Go and learn what this means. <laughs> I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Because at this point, that is still what their primary concern is. is oh, What do I do? How do I do the sacrifice? For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In Matthew 23 23 he says woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you tithe mint and dill and cumin like you 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 do you do all these things that you think you're supposed to do like to the nth degree like even you tithe of even your like your smallest things but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So in other words, it's not these instead of, you should do the thing. But at the core of your heart needs to be this idea of mercy and justice and faithfulness. In Matthew 22, this is what we often talk about and are the vision statements for a lot of churches, probably most churches, and perhaps maybe for your life. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is saying, okay, if the most important thing that you can do is to love people. And understand what Micah is saying here. When we do justice and we love mercy and we walk humbly with our God, this is what it looks like to love God fully and to love people fully. So they're not two different things. It's not, uh, so we need to, to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God, and we need to love God and we need to love people. No, and if you're going to love God and love people, then it looks like doing justice, it's like loving mercy, it's like walking humbly with God. And John 13, 33, says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this combining of the idea of love, which we're going to kind of unpack a little bit today, this idea of combining love with justice, mercy, and walking with God, is what Micah is saying, and then what Jesus is going to continue to say. If you want to know God, this is what it looks like, which which really brings us down to the place of saying, Well, do I really want to know God? Do I really want to walk with God? Do I do I really want these things within my life? Do I really want to live this way? Over these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about these three phrases over and over and over again. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And I want you to hang in there with me. Because we need to understand what they mean. We need to understand what Mike is trying to tell us. We need to look at how do we live this out? How do we, how do we follow this through? The NIRV, which is the reader's version of the NIV, is... Uh, It reads, Micah 6, 8, like this. The Lord has shown you what is good. He has told you what he requires of you. You must act with justice. You must love to show mercy. And you must be humble as you live in the sight of your God. I love that translation of it. It's not complete. It's not full. It doesn't tell the whole story, but it tells a good part of the story. At the end of the day, the reason that I want us to spend this time together in this series called Love Walk Do is because this is the way we walk with God. This is how we do it. We talk about the way, this is how we do it. It's the way we love him and each other. It's the way we fulfill our mission. And this is what the way looks like. Now again, we're going to talk about justice last. we talked about justice quite a bit and Uh, Justice has many facets to it, not just social justice. Social justice was very much on the heart of Micah. Micah did not live in the heart of the city. He didn't live in the big city centers where the governing officials were. He lived out in the suburbs. He lived out in the rural areas. He lived out in the places away where the poor lived, where those who didn't have so much lived, where they didn't have representation and where they often felt the brunt of bad leadership. Micah on his heart on his mind was always focused on justice. He felt God constantly telling him to talk about justice for other people, especially those who were struggling, those who were suffering. And uh, that's why he spent a third of this book condemning those whose practices or lack of godly practices and leadership caused great suffering in the people in which they were around. But what does it really mean? To love mercy. you thought about that? What does it mean to love mercy? I'm going to tell you right now, we're not going to cover that all today. Uh, because there's really a couple of things about l- mercy. There's the receiving of, and then there's the showing of. Every one of us has received mercy. Whether or not we show mercy is a whole nother story. I, I want to talk about the receiving mercy today. Next week we're going to kind of look into the showing Mercy to others. And what does it look like to really love mercy in that way? To understand what Mike is saying, we've got to understand more than just our, our definitions and un- understand what our world says about it. Mercy, in, the, in your dictionary, will say that mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm, which the world loves this definition, by the way. Like, you can do whatever you want and not be held accountable. That's what mercy is. So to love mercy means, like, you you can... Uh, you can do a horrendous crime and then walk away because we're just supposed to be merciful. We're not supposed to hold against you whatever do we could hold you accountable for. But if we take that view of that's what Mike is saying and that's what Jesus is saying and that's what the Scripture is saying about mercy, then we have to ignore a whole lot of the rest of the Bible to get there. When we look at this passage, Micah six eight, and we look at it throughout the Old Testament, there's actually a Hebrew word, that is used on and on for many different things, that is used here for this word mercy. It's the Hebrew word hesed. The Hebrew word hesed does mean mercy, but it also means steadfast love or covenantal love. See, mercy is not just the withholding of consequence when they are due. Mercy is steadfast, patient, covenantal love for others. So has said which means faithful covenant love or steadfast love we read in exodus thirty four six and seven says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness we've seen has said there several times already the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord a god hased merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in hased steadfast love and faithfulness keeping hased steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation in other words his steadfast love, he often withholds the punishment that is due us, the consequences of our sin, and yet he will not deny the judgment for the guilt of our sin. Well, that's a little scary, isn't it? So, which is it? And how do I get one and not the other? Because isn't that one of our primary concerns? So, I want the mercy that I receive and the punishment that's that is withheld. But I'm not sure that I want the guilt that you're talking about here. Aren't they, can you have two of the same things? So How do we understand this loving mercy? Well, here's what I want you to take from that, is that God is merciful and his love for you is steadfast. I want you to remember that. Don't forget it. Everything else we talk about today, God is merciful and his love for you is steadfast. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter how many sacrifices you make or don't make, no matter how many times you come to church or don't come to church, God is merciful and his steadfast love for you is is eternal. But we read this incredible story where we see this idea of mercy. And we're going to actually do one story this week and one story next week. And, And both stories are women of ill repute, which means they were prostitutes. And yet God often teaches us some of the greatest lessons in Scripture through people that we would have considered the worst sins. In John chapter 8, it says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. In other words, what are we supposed to do? Follow the rules. Do the stuff. Commit adultery, you get stoned. It's a bad sin. We've caught her. She's committing adultery regularly. The law says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? Verse 6, they were trying to trap him and saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote, in the dust with his finger, and they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. You know, if Jesus is sitting there saying, okay, um, do your worst. If you have no sin in your life, what do you do? Do we stay or do we go? When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. Verse 10, then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, and this is where we see that this what he's saying in Exodus, here is my steadfast love for you. I am with you. I love you. I'm withholding punishment for you. I've withheld, I've caused them to withhold punishment from you. That's that traditional understanding of what mercy is. The law says you should be stoned. we were to follow the law, I should let them stone you. However, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now this is where we have this incredible, this is where we peek in the door of what mercy really is. I don't know about you, but I would not say that our current social climate is one in which we show much mercy to people. Would you agree or disagree? We don't show a lot of mercy. We've talked about cancel culture. We've talked about all kinds of, you know, just the the hate between two sides. You've got to pick one or the other. Are you a Trump person? Are you a Biden person? Because these two people cannot coexist. We talk about it. We've talked about it in the sense of of race, black and white. Sometimes it exists between men and women. You are one. You are the other. They can't peacefully coexist. You generally don't show mercy to people who are different from us. We generally want mercy from others, and we often show it to people we care about, but everybody else is kind of on their own. This is not new. And not only is it not new, this is not going to go away. It's been throughout human history. It is going to continue until Jesus returns. This is the way of the human heart. This is why following Jesus is so transformative because it changes the way we see people, it changes the way we act in people. Even in this one, when we could withhold or we could pass judgment or punishment on somebody. And even when it is withheld, Jesus says, go and sin no more. There is a difference in the way that we approach our sin as to whether or not we will receive mercy. Because what Exodus is saying is mercy is not for those who could care less about their sin. Uh, We're going to look at a story next week in which... Jesus says about a, a, a person who is offering mercy, the reason that they are offering mercy is because they have been forgiven much. See, what ends up happening is our mercy is born out of our own guilt. We show mercy to others because we recognize we ourselves have been shown mercy. Is there a time in which you could have really given it to somebody But yet you remember when someone else could have given it to you and they didn't. And it stops you? I think that's a glimpse of what loving mercy is. It's just a glimpse of what it is. Scripture tells us in so many places mercy is available to the repentant. This is one of the keys of receiving mercy. This week we're talking about receiving mercy. Next week we'll spend more time talking about showing mercy. But one of the keys of receiving mercy is repentance. It is the the consummate message of the gospel. It is what Jesus began with. It is what John the Baptist began with. And while he expounded and he talked more about it, this is what Jesus said the gospel comes down to. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance is so crucial to the way that we live our lives, and yet we live in a world that doesn't value repentance of anything except disagreeing with them. It must be an agreement. Romans 2, 4, and 5, Paul says this, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your heart and in penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You don't realize that God's mercy is meant to pull you to a place of repentance? And the reason we don't talk about repentance in the church is because it's uncomfortable. We don't talk about repentance in the church not just because it's uncomfortable to talk about, it's because it's uncomfortable to hear but because it's uncomfortable to experience. I mean, if you are repentant over something, it, it it's uncomfortable. It hurts. It's It does not feel good. And so if we want you to feel good when you come and feel good when you leave then let's just talk about the things that make you feel good. God loves you. God's for you. God's going to make your path straight. God's going to take care of all your problems. God's going to make sure you get everything you ever wanted. And then you can leave and feel good, and you'll want to come back and then bring some of your friends. But what Scripture tells us over and over again is the key to everything with God is repentance. So if we ignore that point, if we ignore the role of repentance in the life of a Christian, then we actually deny someone the ability to actually receive mercy and to see God clearly mercy is available to the repentant first john 1 if you remember when we talked through first john not too long ago says this this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that god is light and in him is no darkness at all if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. There is a faithfulness, a steadfast love and mercy that is available when we confess our sins. Early believers would get together in a room and confess their sins to each other. That would be fun. We should do that. Literally we have small groups together, we should get together and say, This is what here's my list for this week. And we confess their sins. Because it brought freedom, it brought mercy. And there was among the group a forgiveness of that sin. So you would receive not only forgiveness from God, but you would have this wonderful experience with your fellow believers who would not only wash away your sin with you, they got to experience their own sins being washed away. It was really a beautiful thing where we didn't hold on to our sins like secret things we don't want anybody to know, but instead we just are things we've got to get out and get rid of so God can forgive us and we can walk more clearly with Him. Repentance is the key to everything for the Christian life. You cannot follow Jesus if you are not repentant. You cannot follow Jesus if you say, I don't do things that need to that require me to repent. You're not following Jesus if you believe that. Because repentance is the key. Repent, the kingdom of God, is at hand. But repentance is not just saying we're sorry. You ever you have a friend that says they're sorry, but you know they don't mean it? Isn't that frustrating? If you confront them with whatever their thing is, and they say they're sorry, but you think, ah, oh, they're not really sorry, it, it's very empty, isn't it? A lot of times we don't even ourselves want to say we're sorry. Because we don't want to feel like we did something wrong. We don't want to feel less than. We don't want to feel bad. We don't want to feel like that's not good. I, I mean, I want to feel on top of the game, not at the bottom of the heap. I, I want to feel like I, I've got everything together, not like I'm, I, I'm messed up. Repentance is so much deeper than an apology. Repentance is not just, I go and do this thing, and God, I'm sorry. And then we go and do it again, God, I'm sorry. And we go and do it again, God, I'm sorry. I've said I'm sorry every time, God. That is not what repentance is. Repentance is deep soul change within us. Like we are no longer the same person after we have repented. It's something we don't talk a lot about today, but it's something that that, that Christians have talked about a lot through the ages. Leonard Sweet recently wrote a book, and he said, to apologize or repent, in our sense of the word, involves a 3M response. A metanoia, which is a change of heart. A metamorphosis, which is a change of behavior. And a metastasis which is a change of being. Is it, more than a, it is more than a time like Lent when we confront our shortcomings and celebrate our passions. It is a daily lifestyle of conversion. Sorry for the typos in there. It is a daily lifestyle of conversions when we have a, a change of heart, a change of behavior, and a change of action. That is what repentance is. It is when we we literally shift and become something else. C.S. Lewis said it like this, Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms laying down your arms, surrendering, saying you are sorry, realizing that you have been on the wrong track, and getting ready to start life over again from the ground floor. That is the only way out of our hole. The process of surrender, this moment full speed astern, is what Christians call repentance. Now repentance is no fun at all. It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all of the self-conceit and self-will that we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years. Imagine that. It's like massive change within us. So, so is it that this is what God is looking for, not the apology, but the change? This is what Micah is saying. We love mercy. we not, It's not that we love that God forgives us. It's that we love that we are changed as a result. Many times people who are growing cold in their faith are growing cold in their faith because they've grown cold in repentance. And the kind of repentance that brings change because this kind of change, while it's not fun while you're going through it, the change itself is. Walking with God. Cleanliness. Knowing the consequences are erased from your future. It is just a beautiful Beautiful promise. William Temple, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury many years ago, said to repent is to adopt God's viewpoint in place of your own. In itself, far from being sorrowful, it is the utmost joyful thing in the world because when you have done it, you have adopted the viewpoint of truth itself and you are in fellowship with God. Imagine that. To repent is to adopt God's viewpoint in place of your own. In itself, far from being sorrowful, it is the utmost joyful thing in the world because when you have done it, you have adopted the viewpoint of truth itself and you are in fellowship with God. Oh, the fellowship that that brings. Freedom that that brings. The joy that that brings. If you're here today, repentance is at your fingertips. It is a beautiful opportunity to go full speed in another direction and to not only go in another direction because that's what God wants you to do, which would be a misunderstanding of Micah 6.8, but is a turning in another direction that leads to great joy, which is what God wants for us. God's desire is not to see how many hoops we can jump through. His desire for us is we experience the joy that He is promising. As we finish out here, one of the things we have to do in the church is we cannot come to a place where sin is ignored. We cannot come to a place where sin is just, ah, everybody does it. Yeah, I'm sorry, but it has got to be the thing that we're constantly living our lives to undo. Loving mercy is not loving a lack of consequence. Loving mercy begins with understanding our great need for forgiveness and offering repentance so we can receive it. This is part of what Mike is saying. Not the whole thing of what Mike is saying with loving mercy. Next week we're going to unpack so, what if we really do love mercy? What does that look like? What does that mean? I'm going to leave you with Lamentations 3, and 23. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Know that no matter where you are, what sin you struggle with, these mercies are new every morning. When we worship, let us worship that we receive mercy new every day. Father, I pray for those... That are struggling with their own uh, just passions that don't line up with yours. Uh, struggling with what does it look like to follow you? We get just on this this trap of the things we're supposed to do, and we miss the transformation that you want to bring us. Father, I pray for someone that's listening right now, that is struggling with the belief that God does love them steadfastly forever or that God does want to forgive them. pray that you would give them such a sense of your grace and your mercy they will willingly confess their sin, turn from their sin, and receive the joy that comes in walking in step with you. Father, I pray that you will Help us to understand all these things that Micah is saying and how do we live those out of our lives today. I pray that you would begin to to soften our hearts so that we would show mercy to others when we could punish them. Father, I pray that we would see all the great mercies that you give us that are new every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray.